I've uh, Blind Boy Boat Club on the line wants oh. to have a word with you so ah oh, there he is he's usually I think he's vaping at the moment <laughs> hang on you can say hello to him too hey Blind Boy how's it going dude how's it going Prezi I'm really enjoying the conversation with Mario <laughs> thanks Blind Boy <laughs> just vaping here <laughs> I want to know if the two of us can exist simultaneously in the Irish mental health field without killing each other. We're like two caribos <laughs> rutting stags, one mullingar, one caribou. Six foot five. The other caribou has a plastic bag on his head with the antlers coming through. <laughs> Tell me, Brezzy, can we coexist? Blind boy, um. Yes. I've thought about this for a while now, and, um. I'm ready to move on. Are you? And I, I think I'm going to. <sighs> Can you? Do you mind fucking off out of the mental health field and just leaving it all to me, please? It's all yours, my friend. Thank it's you. all yours. No, right back at you. Nice one. Well, as you can hear, the Battle for the Mindfulness podcast world is well and truly on. And as you can also hear, Niall Breslin, a.k.a. Brezzy, was in great form and was a great sport throughout our chat together for the podcast. Uh, We got into areas that you might expect, like mindfulness and podcasting, but also some areas that you might not expect, like the psychology of colonialism, our shared love of Dolly Parton, and why I should get some therapy. I'm 40. I had my 40th birthday the same day as Kim Kardashian. And I remember sitting there and she was <laughs> on a, a private island. I know. She was yeah. on a private island. I was eating macaroni and cheese with my mum. And I actually felt a real sense of connection with my family. And I remember walking home that day from school and the local shopkeeper looking at me with a big bruise over my eye and asked me what happened. I said I was eating skips in class. And he, he hit me and he said, you deserved it. The feckin' shopkeeper said you deserved it. But I'm not sure they fully understand it. And even if you look at the events industry, which is where I was most frustrated, I think they need to stop watching Spinal Tap and thinking that's how the industry runs. Why would I take therapy? Because I feel I... You tell me. Exactly. You're already therapizing me. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. (laughs) My chat with Brezzy is on the way in just a few minutes' time here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast, which is supported, as always, by our good friends at Curry's PC World. And you're probably very aware that Curry's PC World stock a huge range of quality kitchen appliances, which can sometimes come in very handy when you're having a bit of a kitchen disaster. Oh, for God's sake, this thing is useless. Michael D., what are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing, woman? I'm cooking. Cooking for who? What? For who? For the king of Togo. The dignitaries. They're arriving this evening, the reception. But you've never even cooked so much as an egg in your life. Well, as indoor dining doesn't look as if it's going to happen for the next 50 years. I thought I'd learn. This blender is falling apart. That's not a blender. That's a coffee machine. What's this yoke? That's a food processor. You can't... It's about a hundred years old, woman. Oh, 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 it's on fire. 
The Rogan, Josh! It's on fire! The cooker! Oh, the cooker's knackered! Sabina! Sabine, do something! Hello? Sabine! Is that Curry's PC World? Yes, I see you have a range of excellent kitchen appliances on sale at the moment. Sabine! Yes, it's Aurus Anuctron, Phoenix Park. May I give my compliments to the chef? Uh, Yes, I am the chef, your highness. Oh, really? Yes, I prepared everything myself with my own hand. The Rogan Josh is absolutely incredible. Well, Michael D. has always been good with curries, haven't you, Michael D.? Really? Uh, Yes, yes indeed, I have. (laughs) Curry's PC World. Kitchen appliances fit for a king. And thanks again to Curry's uh, for their ongoing support. Um, actually, I was nearly going up to Curry's myself because I was seeing if they were going to have one of those uh, those cold air fans because I haven't been able to sleep in the last few days. So, uh, Curry's, if you want to do a competition for cold air fans, I'm all in the market for that. Now, the Olympics is kicking off this week. Everyone's talking about it, including some of my friends and colleagues here in the podcast world. Let's take a listen. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the Olympics have officially begun controversially in Japan. And with me to discuss some of the events that will take place is the great John Giles. John Giles, one of the greatest athletes this country has ever produced. Hi, Eamon. John, let's start with the 100 metres, shall we? Yeah. In your considered opinion, John, who do you think could win the 100 metres? I think the fellow that runs the fastest will win the 100 metres, eh? Yes. Uh, and why is that, John? Well, it stands to reason, Amy. Yes. If you're faster than everyone else, then everyone else yes. must be slower than you. So I'd be amazed, Eamon, yes. if anyone beats the fella that runs the 100 metres in the fastest time. I'd yes. be flabbergasted. Yes, I think that's incredibly perceptive, yeah. John, yeah. as always. Yeah. We're also joined by the great Paul Kimmage. How are you? One of the finest journalists this country has ever produced, maybe in Europe. Maybe even the world. Paul, how do you see this Olympics, Paul? I think this is going to be the greatest Olympics in history, Eamon. And why is that, Paul? Well, pretty much everybody's already tested positive. So I don't have to expose them. My job is already done. (laughs) Also, Vogue and Joanne were having a go at it. Hi, I'm Vogue. And I'm Joanne. Joanne, I'm loving the Olympics. Are you? Cannot stand it. Don't like exercise. Can't even walk. And thought of sprinting just makes me want to vomit. Have you not seen the girls that sprint? Like, their asses. Oh my God, their asses are fucking amazing. Like yeah. These are the girls with the fucking shorts rammed up their crack. They're incredible. Yeah, totally. They just stick out and go up. They're yeah. incredible. Like fucking tables or something sticking out of their ass. Somewhere to put the glass of rosé. Oh my God, <laughs> sign me up for the 100 metres straight away folks so I can park my rosé on my own arse what's the one with the hoovering what you know the one with the hoovering where they got the mop or the hoover the the mop or the hoover no no that's the winter olympics Joanne really the one where they kind of polish off the ice thing do you like that one no the only polishing off I'm going to do with ice is the one floating in my margarita And I have to admit that Vogue and Joanne is actually a guilty pleasure podcast of mine. I don't know why. I'm just strangely drawn to it. Uh, maybe it's overhearing um, this female sex, the way they talk to each other that, I, that I'm not usually privy to. 
Anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And by clicking subscribe or follow, you'll never miss the brand new comedy sketches uh, we drop every week. Exclusive to you as a fan of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And please rate the podcast and go into the app on the um, on the platform. Uh, <laughs> there's me talking absolute rubbish. Go to the place you know where you go normally and give us a rating. Give us a five, for God's sake. And at least and give us a comment as well. I'd love to hear your comments. And you can also comment to me personally, Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. Lots of you do, and I'm, I've been getting back to lots of you as well. Give me your thoughts, ups and downs, pros and cons, anybody you'd like to have on the podcast, any of the comedy that you're enjoying, or any comedy you'd like to see me doing. Uh, and now it's time to meet my special guest for this episode, Niall Breslin, a.k.a. Brezzy, a successful musician, podcaster, author, speaker, spoken word, album purveyor, as I, soon, as I hear he's soon going to be doing, and so, so much more. So imagine how surprised I was when I heard a successful guy like he had awful trouble getting approved for a mortgage from a bank. When he came into the studio, we started talking about it straight away. We hit record. And at the point of the chat that you're about to join, Brezzy was sounding off about TV adverts for mortgages that drive him, and actually me as well, mad. Enjoy the interview. Yeah, and like they need to feck off with those ads like that make it look <laughs> like it's this like, you know, running through a park and go, I'm buying that gaff, yay! Let's I know go the and celebrate. The girl is running through the uh, the the, the park. She sees it. the house, and he goes, "Did you see it? Did you see it?" I was like, "How? how are you, like, like uh, the whole thing, the whole mantra around housing." I interviewed R- Rory Hearn a few times, and mm. I work with Rory. And you know, the one thing I, I read his book, House and Shock. I didn't want to read it because I find those kind of things they almost upset me a little bit too much because you're like, this seems almost like it's invented. And when he said it, it's a it's policy driven, I, I kind of needed to understand what that meant. So I went and read the book. <laughs> it is exactly what he what he says. This could have been prevented, and it's not like we didn't get a warning shot. And that's the strangest part of it. So in my case, like I had the mortgage, and I like pretty difficult thing to try and get. And then you got pull- mortgage approval. I got mortgage mortgage approval, and then mm. they pulled it from me. It was just before the pandemic, and then it was pulled. And they were like, you know, you're working the music industry, entertainment, it's gone. So I had to go through the whole process again and I went home and moved in with my parents who I was cocooning for nearly 18 months in the pandemic. They think I was looking after them, but I really was just trying to save money for deposit. Um, and that's what it was. And it was a process of, I looked in Mullingar, I looked in Dublin. I mean, Dublin is an absolute disaster zone to try and even think about it. I was going into home houses that I knew were in shite and you had to do them up, which I have zero capacity to do. And I was going into the houses and I mean, it was just like something from the, like, People were going in like and going, I'll take it. Cash buyers. And I'm still waiting on potentially getting my mortgage pulled from under my feet. So the whole thing, I've worked my whole off for 20 years. I've saved. I've done everything I could. You know, it's not meant to be easy to get a house, but it should not be this difficult. And it's it, the whole thing, as Rory said, that really hit me was the fact that the policies that we've created have created this. Yeah. And I lived in London for six years where I was paying less rent than I was paying in Dublin. You lived in the centre of world capitalism. Exactly. They're brilliant at it over there. Hmm. And we, that, that's, you know, in London, I was paying about probably a third less on rent, even though I was closer to the city centre. Yeah. Than I was in Dublin. Uh, exactly. So this is this is the epitome of health, dedication, um, um, and and industry. The, mm. the, the amount of things you do in mm. your life. You know, we'll get around to this in a minute. But you do three different, at least three different podcasts. 
Um, where yeah. is my mind? Wake up, wind down, marathon mind, which I'd like to talk to you about as well. Yeah. And and you you are a musician, the Blizzards. Um, you're a mental health advocate. You're really well known. You were a, a, you were a professional rugby player. You're you you're six foot five. You look amazing. You're not an alcoholic or a heroin addict or a oh God forbid anything addict really. Well. Uh, I like Dolly Parton. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, come on. Who doesn't? We discussed her before, actually. Yeah, yeah we do. And, and yet you're there going, they took my approval away, I can't get a house. Yet the 693rd thousand worst accountant in Ireland can get a house. Do you know the funny thing about this? And this is the really interesting thing, Mario. Throughout the pandemic, I, I've been working on another thing around the creative industry. I've been in the creative industry 20 years, whether it's music, recording, podcasting, whatever it is. And what I started to realize when the pandemic hit is I'm not sure policymakers, decision makers and politicians are fully aware of what the creative industry actually is. I think they just see it as a nice thing that people do that's great to kind of throw around when they go abroad. You know, we have a great cultural system and our cultural components in Ireland. But I'm not sure they fully understand it. And even if you look at the events industry, which is where I was most frustrated, I think they need to stop watching Spinal Tap and thinking that's how the industry runs. And that's the way the music industry is. The most skilled, incredible people I have ever worked with my entire life, including professional sport, are events teams and events crews. They build cities and fields and nobody would trust them. Mm. You want you saw have an outside summer. The first people they should have called were those guys. Yes. They know exactly how to do it. So it was devastating seeing their their whole, not not even industry, their, their sense of purpose. Yeah. They didn't have a sense of purpose. I have friends in this industry who are utterly broken because of this. And I don't think there's a full realisation of that. Now, Leo Varadkar can say, I can't wait for festivals to come back and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and neither can I, but who's going to run them? <laughs> you know, we, we we're lucky to have held on to what we have. I remember when Oxygen first happened years ago, we were playing it. And somebody telling me at the time, there was about 15% of the crew there were actually or were Irish and the rest were British because we had to bring them in because we didn't have... The, the infrastructure we have now now any festival in Ireland's all Irish because that's what we've created and mm. we've learned so yeah what, back to the mortgage thing mm. it's, it's the idea that the creative industry is what gives our culture colour and I don't think we fully valued it up, to, up until the pandemic and I still think politically it need, it's got a little bit of work to do yeah and Mark was even saying I mean he put it very succinctly he said it's it's really important for a society to be able to think about itself mm-hmm. and that's what people in the creative industry do that's what people who do comedy that's what people do do music that's who people who write plays and write scripts that's what they're doing they're thinking they're holding a mirror up to our society and they're thinking about ourselves and then they're showing us their thoughts and if those people are shut down remember that story about David Kitt a few years ago mm. and he kind of announced it that he had to leave Dublin because he had to go away now I hope she won't mind me saying this and I don't think she will because she's a friend of mine but the DJ Kellyanne Byrne you know Kellyanne yeah, yeah you know Kellyanne and uh, Kellyanne like <laughs> she at one stage she was doing her show on Today FM when she was doing her brilliant uh, Saturday and Sunday night show on Today FM and I remember talking to her and going so uh, did, did you just come in from, from town she went, no 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 I came in from Glasgow and I went, Glasgow? And she went, yeah, I'm living in Glasgow. I come in to do the show from Glasgow. She commutes from Glasgow, like somebody would commute from Leash or Gorey. Glasgow was where she was commuting That's from. That's where my mom and family are from. So I'm sure that they would only be delighted to host her over there. But like, yeah. I, think, I think that the reality is like, in, not everyone, like it, it's just the industry is so important. And I think in the pandemic, I've, I got a hard awakening that I'm not sure it's valued the way it should be. Even the banks. 
even from the mortgage kind of things going like well what's this I was like, this is our industry this is how we work we don't have lovely cushy pensions and numbers this is how we have to operate this is the way we've always operated on and at the height of me looking for the mortgage I was working I know everyone says seven days a week but I mean every second of every day working trying to get to the point of like how do I get these contracts like with the likes of Spotify with the podcast to actually be able to do this and, and apply for these things because you know not having a home and I haven't like I've been living with my parents you feel very unanchored it's a very uneasy feeling with it how, how has that been by the way living with your parents Unbelievable. I mean I know you said that you'd convinced them that you were taking care of them yeah yeah no and also I think my mum like what an important thing to do like at, I'm 40 I had my 40th birthday the same day as Kim Kardashian and I remember sitting there and she was <laughs> in a, a private comparison. island I know she was yeah. in a private island I was eating macaroni and cheese with my mum and I actually felt a real sense of connection with my family I was on Zoom it was, it was just at this actually it was at the start of the really strict second lockdown where you know everything was shut yeah. that day was my birthday <laughs> what a shit pecking and I remember sitting with them and I had my family on Zoom and they made me this print of Lockool which is Lake Monagar that I'm literally obsessed with and I just felt very connected to them I know it sounds a bit, a bit wanky but I think it's not something you expect to do at 39, 40 years of age to reconnect with no, your mum and dad like that and I remember when Neil Vracker called the, the you know the cocooning when he was saying like this, this shit's getting very serious lads and I was sitting in the room with them and like they didn't already feel kind of vulnerable yeah. being told you're super vulnerable stay over there in the corner and let us get on with things and I remember saying I'm sticking with these and I'm not you know and at that point I even did the, the ukulele the lockdown ukulele lockdown I just thought of people being told at the start of, I was shitting myself and I'm you know adult healthy adult I think what must have been felt like to tell a vulnerable person you're really vulnerable and this is really dangerous and I mean I knew they had to do it and all but I, I kind of looked at them and I, I, I just felt a sense of these are my mum and dad, but for the first time I saw them as vulnerable humans. Mm. And that was quite emotional. Um, so is it fair to say then that over the 18 months that it kind of, uh, that you learned new things about them or that it brought you closer to them? Or had you been kind of away from them for a good few years and, and was it good to come back with them? And Immensely close to them. Mm. Anyway, uh, what I did find out, uh, what I did really surprisingly we didn't fight once which is even that kind of weird conflict because I have this new kind of appro- well, I've had this approach for the last few years of my life I'm very I can't hide anything I say it very openly and if they were pissing me off or I was, and I remember saying we are going to piss each other off of course we are I even said to me mates it's okay to hate your kids for five minutes it genuinely is okay to despise them for five minutes it's not normal to feck people under a roof like this with this level of intensity and tell us we can't go anywhere, we can't act this way or we can't connect or we can't hug. And then my mum lost her brother. I'll never forget it. He, he, he got COVID. He died within three days or four days of COVID. And I was upstairs and the text came through in the, in the family WhatsApp that Uncle Johnny had passed away. And I went down and she was just hanging up clothes. And I just, I hugged her like, what else can you do? And my, like everybody was just, we were just in a state of utter shock. And then a week later at the funeral, uh, which was in um, was on YouTube. I never I was in it was on YouTube, and it was a day like today, a stunning day. And I went out to Loch Ennell in Mullingar to, to go to the funeral, <laughs> and I put the the phone on our piece of rock, like just to watch it. Yeah. And a, a guard came, and we were I think we're, I was definitely outside my five kilometre radius at the time, and he asked me, "Oh, you know, are you?" You know, he didn't it wasn't being an, he wasn't being an arsehole in any way. He was like, "You know, are you around here?" I said, "Actually, I'm just at my uncle's funeral." And he looked at me with the most human eyes I've ever seen. He went, this is fucking nuts, isn't it? Mm. I went, it really is. And he goes, is there anything I can do for you? I said, no. He goes, no bother. Do you need a lift? 
So that lovely connection and humanity, that's the stuff that's, that came up very early in the pandemic. And then we started to piss it away. And then you can see it already. We're all trying to get back on our feet now. And we're like, right, all that stuff we kind of connected with and learned at the start of all this, that maybe life is more than just the bullshit that we get consumed by every day. And I really hope for that moment, are we going to hold on to this? And some of us have. I certainly have. And it's certainly shifted something in my in my brain and my consciousness. Mm. I mean, from having chatted to you a couple of times, I mean, it's clear more and more that you, you embrace this whole idea of how am I feeling? How are others feeling? There's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of emotional intelligence. And you're harnessing, you're constantly using a, your emotionally intelligent muscle. You're developing the muscle. I mean, you already have good physical muscles and you developed your emotionally intelligent muscle. Um, like, I presume you've thought about this, but after a year and a half of this, one of the ways of looking at this whole year and a half is that sometimes I, I feel that as a community, we're all in a sense of a little bit of, a, of, of collective shock, mm. that we're, we're experiencing trauma yeah. as a community. If you were a human being, you'd go, I think you're a little traumatized. Mm. Um, and I wonder what might be the upshot, or if any, if you thought about that, of people for this period, do you think? Yeah, brilliant question and a really important one because the work that I do with A Lust for Life, the work that my partner does as a therapist, psychologist, the stuff that we see every single day, um, we are very quickly moving into this position where people are starting to pathologicalize what we've gone through and they're going, let's put a label on this. You've got an anxiety. No, these are normal human reactions to an absolute utter shit show. Where the very things that make us human were kind of taken away from us, connection, uh, human contact, you know, all these different things, interaction, community, all that stuff was, and, and understandably had to be removed from us. That is going to overwhelm us, get us distressed, it's going to have us screaming at birds out in the back garden, it's going to have us losing the plot from time to time. And it did it to me, it did it to everyone I know, there's nothing wrong with you, it's human, that's a, that's a really healthy, rational human response to a pandemic. So we need to remove this idea of rushing to go, there's something wrong with you, there's nothing fucking wrong with you. This is, this, that's, you know, and I think that's really important. It hit everybody in, and there's a real shared humanity in that. But the other thing I say to people is, a lot of the narrative I'm seeing around media now is that this was a lost period of time. Yeah, no one wanted to be locked in and nobody liked it. But it's not a lost time. We've built a lived experience. You're not going to read that in some bullshit guru or inspirational meme. You're not going to learn that in some course or book. That's lived experience. And in the words of Elton John, we're still standing. So surely we're a little bit tougher than we might have gave ourselves credit for. And if I told any of you guys... 20 months ago, this is what's going to happen. Every one of you said, not a chance could I do that. But you did. So that's real resilience. That's psychological flexibility mm. is what they call in, in kind of psychology. And I think we need to take a little bit of stock with that and go, well, feck it. Like, this was devastatingly difficult. But we were able to handle it. In, and we might, it might have took us down a couple of times, but we were able to handle it. And that's really important. And like a lot of the training I did in, in my studies was around Buddhism and no one wants to talk about Buddhism because we were terrified of spirituality because we associate with religion in a country that used religion to abuse us and to constantly, uh, like institutions to constantly piss all over everything they stood for. Um, so I think we have a really un worrying relationship with spirituality in this country. Whereas Buddhism would say, and this is why I think it's really important, Buddhism says that happiness is fleeting, like pleasant feelings are fleeting, like the shit you get, like your nice car and stuff. It's fleeting. It feels good for a bit. But what brings sustainable happiness? Where do we get that? And I, I truly believe sustainable happiness happens in human connection. I believe it happens in strong conversations and community. I didn't always think that way. 
I genuinely didn't because I had all that. Like I, I went through that period of going like, what do I want? And then here's the one thing that I didn't know, Mario. And I don't think most people do. I had no fucking clue what my values were. Didn't know what I stood for. I just stood for what everyone told me I should stand for. And I think that's what oh, happens. I think that is, I, well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think most people don't. I think a lot of us don't. And mm. a lot of us might know one or two, but maybe fundamental core things about ourselves. Maybe if we're lucky. If we're lucky. Some of us maybe don't know the beginning, maybe take a while to find it. A lot of us don't know it at all. I think you're dead right. I got mine through therapy and I mean, not something I wanted to do, like, but I, I kind of realised I didn't have a clue what I stand for. And here's the thing, what happens with... Fa- the reason religion Isn't works. it gas here, just two Irish men talking about therapy? Oh no, hilarious. It's, yeah. It is hilarious because, I mean, it's, it's something that, like, I've talked to more and more people about, but the mm. idea that therapy is still a kind of a funny word in Ireland. And it is a very, but it's, it's a very interesting concept. Yeah, my mate thinks, I, ask me, I always ask my mates around, I've been in therapy years and I'm very open about it. It was the one thing that got me back on my kind of feet. And I say to my mates, so what do you think therapy are? Is, th- is that when they show you pictures and you say what you see? And I'm like, well, dude, if you're at that level, you're a bit further <laughs> on than I thought you were. But I, I think for therapy, what the, when I started establishing values, I was doing a thing called acceptance commitment therapy, really effective form of therapy, uh, third wave psychotherapy. And I really realize I have no idea what I stand for. And that is why religion works. Because what happened in Ireland after colonialism, where we were, we were looked down upon, I was listening to a podcast on the way here about the, the kind of the, the background to colonialism. I, I understand it, but I really want to get into the depths of the psychology and sociology, what, what that would do to generational, um, to our generations. And it does a lot. But then when colonialism pissed off, in came the Catholicism in a kind of like, we're going to tell you what we stand for. And this is what you stand for. And this is what you can't, can't have this, can't do that. And we were kind of okay with that because we were being told what we stood for and what our values are. And it actually felt comforting. So what's happening now in Ireland is obviously religion, Catholicism is, is diminishing and eroding day by day. And Irish men especially are standing there going, oh, hold on a sec, what do we stand for? What, what do we actually stand for? What? Sat- almost saying you need somebody else to step in and tell you tell what you stand me. for. Yeah, and Freud calls religion a form of neurosis. He says that's what that's why it worked. So I always say to people, you really have to start with yourself. You you know you can't be looking to others to ask you what you stand for. And when I went into therapy, I remember being challenged constantly by the therapist and why I have that value and why it means something to me. And it just felt like I was googling it. Going, that sounds like a nice word. I'll say that to the therapist. So these are the things that started giving me a north star. And in the pandemic, they were very very much tested, and very much past that test because I realized without value, what are you? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I suppose. Um, your, your podcast, Sprezzy, Where Is My Mind? Um, and you also did a series of um, Wake Up, Wind Down. Wake Up, Wind Down. Wake yeah. up, wind down. And mm-hmm. these were sort of series of five minute meditations, were they? Well, what happened was I was doing during the pandemic started. I was like, right, I'll do some. I mean, I'm a trained in the area of mindfulness. Did my master's in mindfulness had all this information, wanted to help people at the start of the pandemic. So let's do them on Instagram. I was already doing the podcast. And then Spotify were like, why aren't, why aren't we doing this every day on Spotify? We could do a, you know, a double daily kind of reflection in the morning and meditation in the evening. Because I knew people were struggling to sleep. That was the big thing. Sleep patterns went arseways. In uh, the pandemic. Of, at the start, especially because right. they're had massive issues with sleep. So I was creating these types of uh, sleep meditations that would help. And that grew into every day, seven days a week, still going. You know, we're uh, thousands still, still of podcasts. Twice a day. Twice a day, every day, yeah. seven days a week. Uh, we haven't taken a break yeah. since we started. And the reflections aren't like like those bullshitty, you know, darkest before the dawn inspirational memes. They're not that at all. Yeah. They're like, right, listen, as I, I look at things like stoicism. I look at things like different philosophies of stuff and go like, 
how do we look at this stuff? How do we actually approach this stuff? It isn't hierarchical. It's not me trying to pretend I've all this stuff figured out because yeah. I don't. Uh, but I do love the meditation stuff because it really helps people find some sleep at the end of the day. Yeah. And Where Is Your Mind is your principal podcast. Yeah. That's and that's still going on Spotify, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was that was that started as me putting out a free mindfulness program because it was attached to it. And then that just grew into a weekly one. And like what I'm trying to do, like one of the things we just started this week, actually, is called the therapy room. We talk about therapy. I have the two best therapists I know in the country, Dr. Tony Bates and Louise Carroll who come in each month and take themes that will come up in therapy and they deconstruct the themes of where they come from, how we can deal with them. And it's funny when you break it all down, most people's issues come from generally before five different things that might have happened, whether it's trauma, whether it's attachment, whether it's or So these guys take it and basically give you understanding of the fact that you maybe you're not losing your mind. Maybe, you know, these are things you're just dealt with and okay. we can talk through them. Okay, actually, this is interesting, right? Because I've been beating around the bush on this before. With, before. I, thought, I want to take therapy, mm-hmm. right? Now, I've never really told many people that, but I want to take therapy. I'm sick mm-hmm. of this, but pissing around. Yeah, yeah. I want to take therapy. Mm-hmm. What is it? What, what, what? So first thing I will say around therapy is... Why would I take therapy? Because I feel I... You tell I, me. Exactly. What, you're already therapizing me. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. But here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you where my therapy started. So there's... If you had a physical ailment, I wouldn't... You wouldn't do the same thing for that. You, you have different treatments for different physical... Hmm. There's many forms of therapy, many different types of therapy that work for certain things. That's the first thing we got to talk about. This belief that therapy is just this thing where you come in and sit in a chair and you just there's there's structure to a lot of therapists whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy mm. acceptance okay well, sorry therapy. i'll jump in on your answer then sorry mm. I, I i want what you of course i must want to take therapy for a reason mm. okay of course because i believe there's something wrong with me yeah, yeah um what's wrong with you is your next question no no my, no no, no there's nothing wrong with you you're a human being oh, exactly sorry i'm you're, you're correct going back in your earlier conversation there's nothing wrong with me i'm a human being um I believe, to, to, to coin a phrase, I have issues, mm-hmm. right? Some issues. Mm. And it's only in the last five years since I've become a middle-aged man. Mm. Um, my auntie told me that this would happen. And she's one of my closest people. We all have somebody like that. Yeah, right? yeah. And she's able to look me in the eye and talk to me. And she went, Mario, I knew this would happen to you. And I went, what? And went, because you've been in a flurry of work for 25 years. You've had your head down. You've, you've been brilliant. How you've dealt with everything is fantastic, she said. She was really nice to me. And she went, but I knew this would catch up with you. And I went, mm-hmm. what? Your issues. Mm-hmm. And the issues are prim- primarily to do with my parents. Mm-hmm. And they're to do with, I'm probably now taking this too far in terms of the abandonment, mm-hmm. senses of abandonment and relationship with my father. Mm-hmm. And more and more as I get through the last three years, I realize I've got to figure this out with myself. And so I guess I'm saying to you, is that something that that therapy might be able to help me with? Absolutely. So very similar in my situation. Now, very clearly here, my background is a mindfulness therapist and teacher. I'm not a psychologist. I never claim to be. I don't do it. I, 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 my partner's a psychologist. I'm around it every day. I work with them every single day. I've been in therapy for 10 years. The therapy that changed my life similar issues that you have so my issue came from an abusive schooling system a very very abusive primary school system where our teachers were physically abusing the 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 kids on a daily basis so i never felt safe as a child never felt safety and i have amazing parents i had a father who went overseas for most and of my life is this, something you, is this something you experienced and saw or both uh, both or yeah. like I've like scars on my face from from teachers like it was deeply abusive so the idea to believe that that shouldn't have had any impact on us as, as we get older so this comes to something called schema therapy and schema therapy is 
are often called life trap therapy. These things we keep falling into can be very easily explained to what happened in that childhood period. So things like abandonment, and not like there you are, your side of the road, we're pissing off no. abandonment. Coldness, yeah. or I said something, or I could never meet approval, and all these types of things. So this is the stuff I started to work through in schema therapy with an amazing therapist, unbelievable, who I, I, I never thought they'd understand it, which is a ridiculous thing to think. But they started unlayering that stuff. And my life trap, Mary, was that I was very, very, very wary of letting anyone into a relationship with me. That was my life trap. I was repeating it every time. I was sabotaging it. And I remember going to my therapist, what the fuck am I doing that for? And they start working back on that. And they start exploring, right, as a child, you never felt safe. You were, you you and your classmates were physically beaten up constantly. You know, what happens is as children, we start to create a defense mechanism and we put up these things and we put up a steel I, I did a like with Tony Bates he's like you put up a f- like he goes are you angry about it I said he goes your anger is very reasonable Niall like you should be because we always think anger is going fuck you uh, anger can be used really wisely and, and that's what I started to do through schema therapy and I luckily have amazing parents my relationship with my dad was slightly different because he was overseas most of my life so I had a different type of relationship that I would have had with my mum but these are the things that you work through in types of like schema therapy. Then if you're the type of person who constantly thinks the worst all the time and has really negative thought patterns and always sabotage, that's cognitive behavioral therapy it can be very useful. If you're someone who feels really lost in life, acceptance commitment therapy is really useful because it's like, what, my, what are my values? What do I stand for? Do I accept that what I've used up to this point hasn't worked? So I have studied the area of therapy for so many years now. I've talked to brilliant therapists and I know the life-changing capacity that it has to unstick people. And I, I, the analogy I use is if you look at your head, like an old 80s TV where there's 500 wires, you know, and you go and look at the wires and you go, fucking hell, where do they all go? It's like plugging them all out, getting them in and plugging them back in again and kind of getting a bit of stroke. Like, that's what it feels like. And I only wish, and the passion of my work, especially with Lust for Life, is that this type of therapy is available to everybody who needs it. Because um, I believe that equality is the greatest form of therapy and health is health is a human right. So I believe that people who have had stuff or needs to work through stuff should be able to get access to this therapy at a community level. We don't have that here. So we have a biomedical model and that is essentially, you know, what is used mostly. We do have psych- amazing psychologists, but they're unbelievably overworked, under-resourced. So that's the fight we're in here. Mm. Therapy helps it detangles stuff. It helps you make sense of your life traps of, you know, maybe. And it could be, it doesn't have to be something really traumatic. No. It could have just been that one thing that one person said to you that one day that has destroyed your self-confidence and your, your self-esteem. And and you hold on to that, mm. depending on who it was, the time it was. Uh, the other thing that happened to me as I went to Israel as a 13-year-old, I definitely, definitely feel there was a form of post-traumatic stress because... There was peace in the Middle East for 15 years until the fucking day the Bressons landed in Tel Aviv <laughs> and the nine day war started. And we drove up into the middle of the, it. That was your family and yourself, oh, nine day right. war. No, that was us. Yeah, yeah. And that was the Fought with you for nine days yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, ceasefire called by end of Breslin. But yeah, we drove up into it and we were safe because the Israeli army are like, like they, they'll go on about this, that and the other, but they're the most protected, like the, the most highly skilled army in the world. Oh, we were listen. My dad driving up into the middle of it, and windows shaking, and from shells dropping just up the road. So, um, I, I realized at that point there's more to life than Mullingar, <laughs> and it was terrifying. 
Yeah. But, uh, thanks for the tip on the therapy and the explanation of the different types of therapy. And I, I, I'm going to bloody well do it. I'm telling you, I just want to I, unstick you used. That's a really nice little detangle it a little bit. Detangle, yeah. untangle, uh, unstick. That's nice. Um, uh, yeah, because I think that at some stage in your life, you just got to go, uh, you know, I, I want to make sense of all this now. Yeah. You know? and there's nothing wrong. This Not is at all. We've created the perception that, oh, my God, I have to be utterly broken. No, sometimes it's nice to make sense of things and understand why you behaved the way you did and why you certainly in certain situations, I always do the same thing. Yes. That really is what I wanted to know. Why do? And it was relationships that really were my problem. That was the one all the time. And making, I, I never had, you know, people said you like a panic disorder and panic attacks all my life. You know, I could make sense of that because I, I was a hypervigilant child that was always concerned I was going to be hit for some reason. I remember being punched in the face for eating in class, like that type of stuff. That never left me. And I remember walking home that day from school and uh, and the local shopkeeper looking at me with a, I've said this before, with a big bruise over my eye and asked me what happened. I said I was eating skips in class. Skips are just irresistible. You couldn't stop them. They melt in your mouth. And I didn't think the reason I was eating skips is because I didn't think the teacher hear them crunch because yeah. they melt. They melt. Uh, and he and he he hit me and he said you deserved it. The fucking shopkeeper said you deserved it. Right. And I was either that there. I went home and my dad was away at the time and my mum was a musician and she was rehearsing in in the house. And I think it was Des Doherty was the keyboard player. He used to play with Joe Dolan. He just jumped off the seat. I, I don't know what he did or where he went, but he didn't have any of it. So that type of stuff has never left me. And it, why would it? And that's the thing is stuff that happens to us as children. We do hold on to it. They're imprinted in our head and we need to work through it. And what we do, Mario, the problem most Irish people, especially, especially Irish men, we avoid, we avoid, we avoid everything. We don't deal with the shit that, that keeps darkening our door. Rather than even as difficult as that is, turning to face it and go right now, I need to figure this shit out because I can't keep doing this. That's what therapy does. It stops you avoiding. And, uh, you know, a good therapist always said to me, avoidance is at the root of most disorder because we try to outrun all this stuff and you can't outrun this stuff. You can't. No, you That's can't. one thing I know That's, for sure. But you've just said it. That's what I know. I'm, I'm 50 years of age and I realise I'll never outrun this. And I've buried my head about it for years. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I've been very busy and, mm. and I've raised a, a beautiful family mm. and a lot of good things have happened but those there's always something in somebody's life there's yeah, always something there's always something how incredible is that that you're doing like that is the thing is like people no like, I'm only making the first step I'd have nothing but respect for that that attitude of like you know what everything's been pretty good like and I've, I've made a good life I'm very successful I have a lovely family and you could sit back and go fuck it listen just go with it but there's something there that you want to deal with and that's really important I remember a really game changing conversation I had was in Lanzarote I was in the queue going back to Ireland and I just released a book about six months seven months before that and there was an elderly couple in front of me and they must have been in their early late 70s early 80s kind of thing and the, the husband just turned around to me and he goes thanks for writing a book he said I told my wife for the first time at 70 you know 78 years of age or whatever I was that I've been carrying this all my life Her, like the person closest to him oh. and it feels like I'm living again I'm living for the first and I was like the two, I was really emotional I got like what, what can you do? Like I was in bits when he said it because yeah. he just saw this man who'd lived for 80 years and he'd carried something that he didn't need to carry on his own. And that type of stuff just made me realise, and I, I, without sounding, we are a country that are 
that needs to heal now and needs to find a way to have these conversations. We've had a dark past. We've done some dark things. We put women and children in prisons. You know, we have to address that stuff so we can avoid our individual mental health and stuff we've gone through. And we, we you can't avoid that, but you also cannot avoid the collective stuff, the societal stuff that we've carried generationally. This podcast is proudly supported by our friends in Curry's PC World. Back to the chat. I also think that by my my intuition tells me that by by therapy, by taking therapy, not only do you help to heal yourself, but it is in itself an empathetic act to do because you basically go into this idea of being self-aware, self-consciousness and then being aware of other people. So in other words, if you are working on yourself, you'll be more interested in having a look at other people and bearing them in mind and being. But that's what I teach in mindfulness. Mm. Is that when people think mindfulness is about relaxation, I don't teach that. I teach insight. And one of the things of insight is to recognize the world does not revolve around you. Yeah. And you need to start looking at the world from other people's points of view, even if you don't agree with them. God forbid in this world where we just have to pick one side. The, you know, I, I work a lot. We've, we've started with a Lust for Life, uh, Gone Past Talking, which is essentially activism academies for young people to teach them how to be really, really good activists. Because activism isn't shouting at someone on Twitter. That's not what it is. And I always say to them, your audience is not the people who agree with you. It's the people that don't agree with you. And if you keep cancelling them, you're never going to change their mind. Yeah, good point. And that's what we got to do. You think marriage equality happened overnight in this country? That was 15, 16 years of incredible work from men like people like Noah Wheeler and Elva Smith. They didn't do that by just going, fix this. They did that by going, how do we get through to the Irish granny? Yeah. And that was their that's strategy. True, yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah. And then day in May, we, we made a massive statement globally and yeah. in this country because people didn't just shut people down that didn't, didn't agree with. Um, the last 18 months, getting through the pandemic, I know music is really important to you. I know the kinetic feeling of music, the um, just, just music in your head, hearing music is really important to you. What kind of music got you through the pandemic? You mentioned Dolly Parton there. And I, so we have that in common. I absolutely love oh, Dolly Parton. Her. What is it about Did her? you see the Instagram she put up yesterday about her husband? No, not yesterday. No. It's just like she's dressed in like a bunny suit and she's just like going her husband. And it was like she's acting like she's just like 18 years of age and she, there's not a shite that she give. I just love it. I just love... I wish, I wish, I just wish there was a, like, I don't know, I'd love to, like, properly see her psychoanalyze. Why is she just this glorious? And, her, and but people don't realise about Dolly Parton is she's a terrifyingly amazing musician. Oh, that's right, yeah. So I think I shared this with you before about writing Jolene and um, I Will Always Love You in the same, same day. day. Yeah. I always think if Jolene's name is Margaret, what would have happened? <laughs> I think about Not that much. too much because syllables are just such a thing in songwriting. But Sure, there she is. I have her here and it's uh, I Will Always Love You, Islands in the Stream, Jesus, with her and Kenny Rogers. I'd say that was most per- financially productive. You talk about the, the royalty checks. I'd say that day was the most financially rewarding day of any musician ever. Yeah. If you think about the oh, royalties, it is. that would so have a, a bur- She used to send a Christmas card to uh, Whitney every year. But Islands in the Stream, I, I love, there's a video of Kenny coming out. Kenny's in his, in his tux and his beautiful white beard and he's there. He's just singing away and then he sings the first lines of Islands in the Stream. He says, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Dolly Parton. Yeah. And she walks straight out, right? And she begins, she hits the mic and starts singing. But she sings the harder part of yeah. um, Islands in the Stream, the, the kind of the support part, which is, if you listen to it, it's really hard. Yeah. So Kenny's selling the ring easy part. Islands mm. in the Stream. She's doing the um, the harmony all the way through. Yeah, is- and it's, the, it's carrying the, 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 the bucket, you know. Here you come again. Here you come again. Love is like a butterfly. Uh, that's that's a that's a tune now. Oh, isn't Love, it? Oh, it's just Love is like a butterfly. Beautiful. Nine to five, 
fucking amazing tune, Nine to yeah. Five. I used to always think there was a mad I know it's ago. a cliche, but it's talk about understanding the, you know, the emancipation and, you know, the, the, the drudgery that women yeah, were yeah. faced with. You know, all these women at typewriters with the fellow with the moustache who just wants to climb up the ladder. But I like, think about it, especially in, in a like her, probably her fan base in America would have been a bit more conservative, Republican yes. kind of initially with the, you know, music, country music generally. But I, I for me, music, what I have been listening to is... Two things that really stood out for me in the pandemic is audio, podcasting and radio became really important to me. It did. And everybody, uh, yeah. Brezzy, what we're doing right now is has become part of people's lives. Yeah. That they are just they have become interested in this medium. And I, but even I think radio was so like radio was so important to me. And I mean, I'm saying it like with you, like every I mean this, I don't mean this in, in some I don't do that bullshit, but like I like every now and again you'd have a sketch and I was like it was so important it, one of the things I talk about um, in my work is uh, even my therapist said because of vitamin P vitamin playfulness mm. we need to we need a bit of boundness we need a bit of messing mm. we need to be mischievous it is actually good for our brains and our psychology I try and imagine myself as a chimp <laughs> I am a chimp just throwing little um, sticks in the air. And I always try to, if I'm ever talking to people about stuff like this, I always say that the real spirit of creativity is in play. Oh, yeah. Playfulness. Yeah. yeah. When we are, when we, when we think it's, when we try to put ourselves into a position where it's work, it starts going wrong. Oh, yeah. When we play, it goes right. And you make exponential uh, gains in your creativity. But there, you look at the two best people to look at if you want to learn about just how to approach life are dogs and kids. They just don't give like a dog shits in the pot and you clean it up, you know, and it's just like this is my life and they're and they're playful, they just have the crack. <laughs> Kids just see the world. Every day is just amazing, you know, their hands are the most amazing scientific discovery since penicillin. And it's this type of attitude that I love. And I think what's happened in the pandemic is because it's been so intense for all of us, it's been so painful for a lot of us that we almost feel guilty to laugh and have fun and and, and to have those bits. So I, I believe comedy I think satire is having a difficult time because it's it's very hard to do that with the world at the moment because the world is so messed up. But I do believe comedy is, as I said already, is 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 the vehicle that has allowed us approach what has been probably for most of us one of the most difficult periods of our life. Uh, just just finishing on Do- on Dolly Parton there for a minute, um, and empathy, right, and forgiving people, and moving on, and on unha- and detaching, detangling, and all that sort of stuff. When she wrote "I Will Always Love You," right, she wrote it about her manager. Okay, Mm. the guy who had bossed her, the guy who owned her and she was almost indentured to that. He had the television show. He started her. She became famous through his television show. And she says, I want to leave. And he says, you can't leave me. And she says, I'm leaving. I'm going out on my own. I have work I need to do. Mm. And he says, "Okay, well, um, I'm not allowing you to leave. And she she went off and she wrote. I will always love you that day or that morning or whatever. And she came back the next day and she played it for him. And he said, okay, you can go. Wow. And because what she heard, he heard was somebody who wasn't saying, fuck you, I want to leave you. Yeah. She went, I will always love you. Yeah. So this guy who was hurting her, mm. she wrote a song about loving him. Mm. And that's pure, and he talked Buddhism and forgiveness and stoicism and, Sto- when I think of Dolly, I think of something stoic in yeah, her. Yeah. There's something stoic going on somewhere. Big time. And she wrote a song about I lo- about loving him, mm. and he let her go. He I, couldn't. He had no choice. He just let her go, and he went. I think he said, "Can I have half the profits or something?" As well, she said, "It's a grind, but you can go. You can go." 
Yeah, but that's emotional intelligence. Yeah. That's, that's that stuff. And you know this type of stuff that we believe, oh, you either have it, you don't. No, you can teach this stuff. You can teach people to understand, especially at an early age. That's why I've always had so much interest. And that's where I'm probably going to further my studies is working with younger children where you're, they're in that they're in that sponge stage of their life where everything they see in here is just is just being imprinted onto them and they're and they're and they're absorbing it and that's why for example something like homelessness with kids is such a it's far bigger than we think this is with them forever you know so i do think that those that period in a child's life needs to be where you can teach them those incredibly important tools couple of odds and ends to clean up here, Brezzy. Um I had a couple of little questions for you that we sent you on email. And um, your, one of your go-to comedies you talked about? Peep show. Yeah. It's dark. I, I love darkness. I love, a, like, I really, you know, the, the stuff, because I think as this world has got so difficult to say anything. And what I love about Peep show, it's saying all the stuff that most people are thinking, but, they're, you know, you can't do it. And it's just world-class comedy writing. It's just on another level. And it's, heartbreaking they're not doing it anymore but I think it's just it's just a brilliant comedic cleverness and it, it even now when I watch it back I just find myself there's just gold lines was that line I said to Patrick that I just I just remember listening who who thought of that and he, he just had um unprotected sex with, with, with a girl and he, he was worried that she was going to get pregnant and he goes sperm is kind of like a fiver you can't ask for it back <laughs> <laughs> how did he write that and it's just and it every uh, there's a three it's of those gold, I know it's three golden nuggets in every show mm. and I just find myself just going that's just, and Jeremy's rampant narcissism which is probably quite normal nowadays because narcissism has become kind of the great kind of it's, I suppose, whatever way you want to call it, it's become immensely normalised in the modern world. Well, half like, the main, half the, 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 the our, our, our so-called leaders in the world are some of the principal narcissists in the world. Yeah, they're golden at it, yeah. And I think that's, that's you know, look, the thing about politics, I, I always say this about politics in Ireland, I want to love our politicians. I want to be proud of them. I don't like giving out about it all the time. It doesn't give me any pleasure to do it. You know, but yeah. I do think it's about the preservation of power, unfortunately. Oh, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah. David Mitchell. I, I love David Mitchell. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just I love the way he I love I love his deadpan um, delivery of, of, of stuff like this. Now, the other one I was asking you was if you could be anybody, <laughs> if you could be anybody for a day, who would you say it was? I, what I said was I want to be any any of 15 people. But yeah. what I'd love to do is I'd love to be able to go back to being kind of able to play sport and I'd love to be on the Japanese rugby team. <laughs> what a glorious shower of lads to watch play rugby. The fearlessness. Do you the, mean the Japanese rugby team circa 2019? I mean, even this year, like you, yeah. you watched you watch them against the, the Lions or even Ireland. And I was watching them. I was like, oh, Ireland. I, was, I don't care. Look at these. Look at the fearlessness of this. And that's what I love about sport. I think sport has got so serious and you have to measure everything. And if you, if, you know, if a player farts, it's registered under fecking. You know, they're measuring yeah, things. They play, they, thing they play with a sense of continuity and, and madness. And madness, yeah. And it's but just controlled like, madness. But, but it's, fear, it's fearlessness. I think, like, I look at Ireland, especially in the last World Cup, and all I saw was fear. fear exactly. They didn't want to play. They didn't yeah. know how to play. And. And they were worried about making mistakes and the Japanese just don't have that. And I just I just remember falling back in love with sport, watching them play again. And I mean, I adore rugby. 
I adore, I love watching rugby like that. And the All Blacks are just too good. So I don't really enjoy that anymore. Brezzy, one of the things I do on this podcast as well is that I have some people who listen in on the podcast live. Mm, I heard that, yeah. We have them listening in live. So yeah. basically they, they listen to the conversation. They've been listening now for three quarters of an hour. And then they've, we have them on the line to, to ask you some questions. Are you prepared to accept some questions? Absolutely, yeah. I have uh, Blind Boy Boat Club on the line wants oh. to have a word with you. So, ah, oh, there he is. He's usually... I think he's vaping at the moment. <laughs> Hang on. You can say hello to him, see? Hey, blind boy, how's it going, dude? How's it going? Prezi. I'm really enjoying the conversation with Mario. Thanks, blind boy. <laughs> Just vaping here. I want to know if the two of us can exist simultaneously in the Irish mental health field without killing each other. We're like two caribos <laughs> rutting stags one Mullingar one caribou is six foot five the other caribou has a plastic bag on his head with the antlers coming through. <laughs> Tell me, Brezzy, can we coexist? Blind boy, um. Yes. I've thought about this for a while now, and, um. I'm ready to move on. Are you? And I. I think I'm going to. fucking off out of the mental health field and just leaving it all to me please it's all yours my friend Thank it's you. all yours no right back at you nice one it's all back at you sound thanks thank you blind boy um, we also have Michael O'Leary's on the line from oh, Ryanair Michael uh, I grew up just up the road from him yep. he used to not let us take conkers out of his house you should say hello to him if you want hey to Michael talk. how's it going good morning good evening whatever it is <laughs> what is this Brezzy, mumbo-jumbo, Mullingar, meditation, murmuration of starlings, bullshit all about. How would, what's your advice to me when I feel like punching one of these people, these politicians, for absolute shagging disaster that it has been in the last year and a half? How am I supposed to control myself? What's your advice to me as a therapist? And secondly, should I take therapy? Well, I'm not a therapist, Michael. If I was one, I wouldn't be taking you on, that's for sure. But the other thing I would say is I'm not quite sure where that Mullingar accent came from. That is a, an interesting... It's East Mullingar. Is it East? It's uh, East. I've never, we were never allowed into East Mullingar. It was too posh. Was. Right. You thinking about going on holidays soon? I, um... No, I'm not going on holidays. Don't actually. fucking okay. fly Ryanair, right? <laughs> Jesus. Mullingar accent. Fair play to you, Brezzy. Jesus. How do you put up with these people? I don't know. You know, it's part of your job. It's fantastic. Uh, Michael O'Leary and Blind Boy, um, thank you very much for your Thanks, calls. Thanks, lads. Uh, Brizzy, listen, as always, I so enjoy talking to you. Um, and uh, I really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, it's la- a pleasure. It is really a pleasure. For me. It. for me, it's a real pleasure because uh, you're, always, you're, always, um, you're always present in the conversation. I know it sounds a bit wanky, but no. you are a bit pre- You're always, always present in the conversation. Mm. You give of yourself and, uh, and, 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 and you're there. So thank you so much. My pleasure, as always. Mind yourself. Thank you. And thanks to Brezzy. I first uh, chatted to Brezzy when I was doing the Sunday Roast on Today FM and we had a really, really nice chat. As I said in the 
in the chat. He's always very present during conversations. He's very open and emotionally intelligent, and I love that about him. Check out his podcasts, which are exclusive to Spotify. As I said, he has Where Is My Mind, there's Wake Up, Wind Down, and there's also Marathon Mind. And thanks, of course, as always, to Curry's PC World for the support. Thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and following, and rating. Please come back here, same time, same place, next Thursday on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Take care of yourself, and bye-bye.